You're listening to the Street Center Podcast. And welcome in, folks, to another edition of the Street Center Podcast. I am your host, Noah Taluki. And boy, do we have a very exciting edition. We have a lot of Blue Streak sports and a lot of Blue Streak success to talk about in this one. And also later on in the program, join us for an awesome, awesome interview that I did with Dayan Mladenovic. He is the head men's soccer coach here at John Carroll, calling himself the Alec Baldwin of Streak Center because he's he's been on more than any other guests that we've had uh, before. And it was, like I said, it was an excellent interview. And uh, I, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, for you guys to listen in later on as well. But a lot of success in the OAC tournament and how a lot of things ended up shaking out for the Blue Streaks. But I want to lead off first with men's and women's cross-country They were able to both win the OAC championship this season in what was the first for the fall sports in OAC competition. The men's won, and this was uh, their second championship in a row. So this is the first time in their history that they've won back-to-back titles, last year being the first season that they ever won an OAC championship in the first place. They scored a low 40 points, and their second-place opponent, Otterbein, was, had 70, so it was a 30-point margin between first and second place as well. Alex Phillip, no surprise there. He won the race in a time of 25.06.2. Had a couple of runners from Mount Union and Wilmington, Simon Hayes, closing in on him, but he ended up winning by about 20 to 30 seconds. Uh, Barrett Shetsley, how about, how about him? Barrett's a, an interesting story because... He's just a sophomore, but as a freshman, he also placed in the top 10 at OACs and was able to compete on the national team that ended up placing fourth at the NCAA championships. Barrett has been battling a lot of injuries this season, but uh, he was able to finish in seventh place with a time of 26-12.5. Ethan Dimitrovich winning uh, first-team All-OAC as well. First-team All-OAC goes to the top 10, and then uh, top 10 finishers, and then 11 through 20 goes to the uh, second second team All-OAC. Dimitrovic finished uh, 26-29.1 in ninth. Adam Shaw, 11th to get second team All-OAC in his senior season, 26-39. Ryan Champa in 12th. He was on the national team last year as well. Tommy Naiman, 15th. And Joe Backus in 17th as well. So it was only the top seven who score for JCU, but there was other times uh, and in places that were very um, that were very important and very notable as well. Dominic Del Moro, twenty first; Aiden Stone, thirty second; Caleb Correa, who was on the podcast with Erica Esper last week. If you want to check that interview out, it was an awesome interview. Uh, Correa he finished thirty fourth, and Matt Costanzo finished in thirty eighth. So uh, very impressive to see from, especially from a team as, as they talked about last week, uh, Caleb and, and Erica, a team that really has battled injuries uh, this season, but able to finally come out on top. They and I know Kyle Basista and, and company knew that Otterbein was coming, and uh, luckily they were able to to win by a, a decent margin by thirty points, and uh, and really really good to see Kyle Basista get his second. OAC championship in just as many seasons. The men's team will have a week off before they compete on Saturday, November 12th. That will be regionals, Great Lakes Regional Championships that will take place uh, in Holland uh, at the West Ottawa Golf Course. Uh, A little bit of a tune-up before we get to uh, the OACs, uh, or I'm sorry, the NCAA championships, which will be on uh, the week after at Michigan State. Forest Acres. So the next two meets, hopefully the Blue Streaks will be competing in Michigan, the Wolverine State. Women's Cross Country, they also won. They are the fifth team since 1980 in OAC for the OAC championships to win three or more consecutive conference championships. Um, they have won now in 2019, 21, and 22. Of course, 2020 was the year that cross country season was canceled. So technically, they have won three straight championships. Erica Esper, who was on the podcast with Caleb Correa, she ran a team best third place in a time of 22.52.0 in the 6K. How about Abby Schroff, the freshman, coming in sixth place, getting first team all OAC honors with a time of 23.21.2. 
Cameron Bujavic, who has been a staple as a fifth-year senior now for the Blue Streaks. She came in eighth with a time of 23.37.9. She is now a four-time first-team All-OAC runner, dating back to her freshman season in 2018, all of which she finished in the top eight. Sarah Weldon, who was also on the national team last year that competed at the NCAA Championships, she finished in ninth with a time of 2340.0. Jen Masucci finished in 10th, 2343.3. Ellie Kitzmiller, 11th, and Amanda Keim in 12th to round out the scoring for John Carroll. Also, Morgan Edwards finishing in 21st. Sydney Wingler, 22nd. Katie Vasilowskis with 20 in 26th. Danica Ruby in 31st, and Anastasia Bakun in 33rd. I remember Caleb and Erica talking about how pack running was so important in last week's interview. Well, this is the definition of pack, pack running right here. Bujavich, Weldon, Masucci, Kitzmiller, and Kime finishing in 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th. <laughs> so you could tell that those, uh, and you know, even Abby Schroth in 6th, you know, pretty much all of those ladies uh, for the Blue Streaks were all running together. And um, really, really good to see that that pack running uh, is able to uh, to pay off uh, the, the strategy, I guess, uh, that the men's and women's cross-country teams like to do here at JCU. But Kyle Basista, yet another ring in cross-country. And, and I'm just saying it, it really proves uh, what a special program this is and, and being able to have all that depth. And, you know, each each uh, each runner on their different training methods and, and not everyone on the same method. I mean, that this is the keys to why John Carroll has been so successful at the OAC level. And uh, hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll do it again at regionals. They'll, they'll qualify and, um, and get back to the NCAA tournament uh, as well. So that, of course, as I mentioned, will take place on November 12th. They'll get a week off, and it'll be at the Holland West Ottawa Golf Course in Holland, Michigan, before nationals. Hopefully, if they qualify, I'm feeling like they will. That'll be on the next weekend, November 19th, at Forest Acres, which is Michigan State University's home golf course. I want to talk about volleyball now, and volleyball is a sport that we talked a lot about on last week's podcast because there was a lot at stake. What was going to happen in OAC play? There was a lot. Of, there was a big tie for second. We didn't know how the, the standings would shake out. All of a sudden, John Carroll, in a much-needed victory, a much-needed win over Muskingum. They beat them 3-0 to zero to clinch the number. Well, actually, they didn't clinch at first because they had to wait and see who the winner of the Marietta-ONU match would be. And if ONU won, then John Carroll would clinch the second seed. And sure enough, the Polar Bears defeated the Pioneers and, uh, and, and the Blue Streaks ended up clinching the number two seed for the first time since 2014. Really, really good and, and very, very impressive accomplishment as well. Because you remember about Muskingum as well. This is the team that beat John Carroll 3-0 last year in, in the in the OAC tournament. Because John Carroll in in recent years has had has not had that much success in the tournament going past the regular season. They snuck in at at the uh, with a seventh or eighth seed last year. They ended up getting a sixth seed. But like I said, 3-0, they lost to Muskingum. So there was a lot riding on this match. And uh, and being able to see the Blue Streaks come out and, and really, uh, they were very composed throughout the whole match. And and you could see that, you know, everything everything was planned out. There wasn't many silly errors or mistakes. And, uh, you know, I, I really have to give a special shout out to Peyton Miazzi and Lexi McDonald in the back row. I mean, Lexi, of course, the libero and... Peyton Miazzi, the uh, defensive specialist, uh, Peyton was on with Allie Bartolone on the Streak Center podcast about a month ago. But uh, they dove for every ball. I mean, they were they were getting balls, um, you know that that probably in the past a few seasons ago would would have been would have been in, and and the other team would have gotten some points. But being able to leave their bodies out on the line and and, and get those really hard balls to get to uh, and keep that alive, um, I think that was really key to uh, to an impressive three zero sweep of the Muskies last Saturday. And also, too, um, you know, the OAC Awards uh, did come out. Um, volleyball is one of the only sports in the OAC to do their voting before the uh, their conference tournament. So the voting came out, and Cassie Calamuncy won OAC Player of the Year, becoming the first John Carroll player 
to win OAC Player of the Year since Katie Perrone in 1996. It has been over 25 years since John Carroll had a OAC Player of the Year, and very well-deserving for Cassie. She is now a two-time first-team All-OAC selection as she uh, received the honors last year. Three or Five-time All-Conference player, now second-team honors uh, for the last uh, two, two and three seasons ago, and then uh, honorable mention uh, in 2018, her freshman year. But very well-deserving for Cassie. Uh, she is definitely one of the most versatile players, if not the most versatile player in the conference. And I think Coach Benoit you know, allows her to use her flexibility in b- both offensively and defensively on that right side. You, know, you see Cassie you know, playing a lot more in the back row as well, getting a lot of those digs, uh, very good defensively as well. You, you see the totals. You know, you see Lexi uh, and, and Peyton up there, but... but Cassie's right up there in, in the team lead in, in digs as well, and and obviously still leading the OAC in kills. So just kind of doing it all. And I know Cassie had this is something that she's really worked hard for 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 the last five years. Um, so a big congratulations to her and someone that I think really came in with a, a big chip on her shoulder, and uh, you know has really lived up to um, you know the expectations uh, at the beginning, and um, you know has just worked really really hard and and really stayed focused and grounded on that task at hand. So big congratulations again to Cassie. Oh, and, and, and how could I forget about Jess Liddell or little, <laughs> I should say, um, you know, the sophomore middle who also got, uh, all OAC honorable mention as well. Very well deserving. I mean, she, she is very good. Um, you know, being able to block those balls, uh, especially in the middle. And then she can even sneak up on you with, with some kills uh, as well. And, uh, as, as in the, the match, she had three, um, in, uh, against Muskingum. Uh, also, also some of the leaders uh, in the Muskingum match, Cassie with 11, Jen Fulmer with 9, and Steph Connolly uh, with 4 as well. Also in the match, uh, Allie Bartolone, the five-year setter for the Blue Streaks. She became only the sixth player in program history to eclipse 3,000 or more assists in a career. So big congratulations to Allie as well. A big friend of the Streak Center podcast here as she was on about a month ago with Peyton Miazzi. So the Blue Streaks, as I mentioned, clinched the sixth seed in the OAC tournament. And there was an upset in Ada on Tuesday as the three seed ONU fell to the number six seed Muskingum. So it will be a rematch here tonight on a Thursday as uh, as the, the Blue Streaks will take on Muskingum again at home. So tonight at 7 p.m., if anyone is listening before the match, please come out and support the Blue Streaks. It's going to be a very fun atmosphere. Remember, first time since 2014 that the Blue Streaks have been um, ranked the two seed and have, and it's first time since 2015, or I'm sorry, 2016, that the Blue Streaks have hosted an OAC tournament match as well. So let's uh, let's let's hopefully we pack the the Tony DeCarlo Varsity Center and cheer on the volleyball team who where it's uh, it's been a while since they've had this much success and um, you know th- and this is another sp- volleyball is a sport too that you really feed off of the energy of the crowd and I know the players on, on John Carroll really does that as well so if, if there's a, if there's a really good crowd with a lot of cheering and, and and all that I think that's something that a lot of the players can can feed off of as well. And then the other match um, on the other side of the bracket is Marietta because they beat Mount Union uh, and then versus Otterbein who ended up getting the number one seed as well. So whoever wins this match tonight will play the winner of Marietta and Otterbein who was the number one seed. We're going to move on to women's soccer now. And I got to say women's soccer, there was a, there was a stretch during this season where they were not, they weren't really playing that well. They, had a really tough time finding the back of the net. But these last three matches now, they have scored a combined 14 goals in three matches. It is unbelievable. And uh, and they are 10-8-2 now. Ended conference play at 5-4 and four because of their performances against Mount Union. The big 4-3 win, as, I, as we talked about last week. And then Muskingum, 7-1. They ended up clinching a number four seed in the tournament and ended up hosting. They hosted five seed Mount Union, a rematch from from last Wednesday. They won three to one. They just gave up a little goal, you know, towards the end of the game. That was very close to being a shutout as well. But being able to find the back of the net and and most importantly, in that Muskingum game on uh, on Saturday, October 29th. How about this? 
Madison Rosado, who we've talked a lot about this year, she's been kind of that number two goal scorer to Emily Patterson, the freshman. Rosado didn't even play at all last year. She didn't even see any minutes, and now she's starting and, and really getting more of a feel for the ball as a sophomore. And uh, Rosado became the first player in John Carroll history to ever score four goals in a single match. And I heard her fourth goal was pretty impressive as well. It was a it was a ball in the box that she leapt up for it in midair and kicked it in the back of the net. Very, very impressive to see uh, from the Blue Streaks being able to score these goals, and especially Rosado, who was named, rightfully so, the OAC Player of the Week last week uh, for her efforts in that game. So uh, you know, there have been multiple hat tricks, uh, multiple games with, with players scoring hat tricks, but never a game where a player has scored four goals. So big congratulations there to Madison Rosado. She also scored against Mount Union in the OAC tournament match. Uh, she was she actually scored the first goal of the match uh, with just uh, in about the 10th minute. Emily Patterson also scored, and Grace Monin scored in the 50th minute as well to cap off uh, the scoring for John Carroll. They will have a big test coming up against Capital, who is the number one seed in this year's OAC tournament. That is going to be at Capital. That is tonight here on a Thursday, November 3rd at, at in Bexley. That is a 7 p.m. start in the OAC semifinal. Also, I think another key, too, is uh, Mackenzie Steese has been uh, the starting goalie for John Carroll, has been out for a little bit. They, uh, Coach Marich has put Juliana Contool in at goalie, and, uh, and, and they've done a, a really good job uh, overall. Uh, she's, she's played very well. Um, in net as well for the Blue Streaks. So that and and even defensively too, you've seen the Blue Streaks step up even more, and um, it's it's been really good to see. I mean, Contwell made seven saves in 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 that match against Mount Union. So so stepping up big in net and uh, and defensively as well, I think is also a key. On top of obviously scoring scoring these goals, as I mentioned, Capital at 7 p.m. on Thursday, November 3rd. Men's soccer, we'll talk about a little bit before we get to our interview with Dan Wildenovic, the head coach of the men's soccer team here. 13-4-1, they ended their season 8-1 in conference play. Really nice 4-0 victory against Muskingum uh, last Saturday on senior night for the final match of the season. It was nice because Dan started most of the seniors as well. And how about, this is an interesting story about Muskingum, by the way. So Muskingum's coach for this season is the former head men's soccer coach at Ohio State. He actually, and it's an interesting story about Muskingum because Muskingum's coach quit about a week before the season started in August. And they were looking around for different coaches. And then the coach from Ohio, the former coach at Ohio State, who had been retired for quite some time, he saw that Muskingum needed just a coach for this season, just just a guy to kind of get them through this year before they could f- have time to find someone else because they he had quit and he had moved on to another Division One job at just the last minute. So he felt bad and is actually coaching Muskingum this year. And um, you know, I, I was able to meet him before the match. Very nice gentleman and uh, a legend in the soccer community. He even won a, a Division One national championship at Ohio State about 20, 25 years ago. So uh, really, really uh, interesting story about um, about Muskingum in their soccer program this year. Um, but John Carroll was able to handle their business and beat them four nothing in um, in that match. And it was it was good to see a couple of the uh, couple of the seniors score as well. Um, Jack Fote, he is a sophomore, but he uh, scored the first one. And then Brendan Swan, senior, also scored. Gino Romeo even found the back of the net, and uh, and even Blake Barna, he found his first. Or I apologize. Jack Fote scored. Brendan Swan. Uh, Romeo did not. Blake Barna did. And uh, that was for his first career goal. And then Bashir Al-Rami also scored uh, for, for the Blue Streaks. So uh, it was good. It was really good to see this, uh, a lot of the seniors get out there. Got a lot of guys that maybe could be starting and playing a lot more at other places. But just because of the depth of this team, um, they you know they they find themselves in more of a bench role, but good to see them get get more time as well. So the Blue Streaks ended up clinching the number two seed in OAC play. Of course, the 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 devastating two one loss to ONU at the beginning of the year. That's how ONU ended up clinching the number one seed. But the Blue Streaks have not allowed a goal since. They have now scored ten goals in their last four matches and allowed zero. And uh, we'll talk more about it with Dan. But I think a big reason for that has been the play of Jake Vogren. In, in net as well. 
But Otterbein, they will play uh, today here on a Thursday at 7 p.m. at Don Shula Stadium. Otterbein coming in as the number three seed, and uh, and and they've been playing very well as of late. They're one of the best teams in the nation, as Dan has said as well. And this is a rematch from last season's OAC Championship when the Blue Streaks defeated the Cardinals by a score of one nothing in overtime. And uh, and also earlier this year, John Carroll beat them in Westerville two to zero. So, uh, but this will definitely be a, a different match, I think. And, and, and Otterbein will will really challenge uh, both offensively and defensively. And then uh, the Blue Streaks, if, if whoever wins this match, will go on to play on Saturday uh, in the in the OAC Championship. ONU plays Wilmington uh, in their match uh, as well. So uh, a lot, a lot of exciting soccer, and it's good to see that the women's team won and, and ended up clinching to the semis, and hopefully the men's uh, will be will be right on track as well to win uh, the OAC. They have not lost in uh, in the OAC playoffs since 2017 uh, when they lost in penalty kicks uh, to Capital. So they've won every other OAC championship since. Let's hope that this year can be championship number five in a row for the John Carroll men's soccer program. Want to get to football now, uh, and football, of course, beating Muskingum at Muskingum at their brand new stadium over there that they just dedicated earlier this fall. They beat them by a score of 49-14, to 14, and uh, another another convincing victory. Muskingum, kind of similar, uh, definitely a better team than Capital, but similar in terms of uh, the capital game, how they really fought the whole time, and um, you know, still gave the Blue Streak some problems um, defensively. I mean, this is the most points the Blue Streaks have allowed now, fourteen, which is crazy to think, but most points that they've allowed since Week One against Washington and Jefferson. But uh, but it was interesting because Capital, um, you know, they they had some success throwing the football. Jordan Garrett. Who is um, who is Mount or Muskingum's quarterback? Who's been starting the last couple of years? He actually threw for 242 yards and two touchdowns against the Blue Streaks. And Travis uh, Robertson, the uh, the Muskies wide receiver, had six catches for 124 yards. So uh, you know, not too good for John Carroll at least in the passing game. But they were able to intercept uh, Garrett twice, and one of them was a a run back uh, for six points as well. That was Josh McLean, 46-yard pick six. That was late in the second quarter, and uh, it was it was good to see. The second pick six of the year for JCU, the first one coming uh, against Baldwin Wallace, uh, John Marcus Rowland having a big 40-plus-yard uh, pick six, and that one to seal the deal against the Yellow Jackets. But uh, overall, though, a solid game, I would say, uh, for, for JCU. Uh, Joe Collins uh, throwing for a touchdown, two. That was uh, that was Tadis Tatarunas. So Tadis has his fifth touchdown catch of the season uh, as a tight end. Uh, not too ma- not not too many um, yards passing. O- only just one seventy for Joe. But they they ran the football pretty well. Um, ran for over two hundred yards as a team. Demarius Goodwin with seventy five on the ground. Mason Sullivan with fifty eight and two touchdowns. So Sullivan gets gets into the end zone twice more again, just like he did against Wilmington. And McVeigh with forty seven yards and a touchdown as well. So and uh, and also defensively for John Carroll, they had four sacks. Bricker Teal led the way with eight tackles, two for a loss, and of course. The sack, also a a forty yard fumble return from Kiefer Askew, and uh, and another interception from Elijah Chungu, as well. So Blue Streaks keep rolling seven and one in OAC or seven and one overall seven and zero oh in OAC play. And folks, this is what it has come down to: the OAC. This is this is the OAC championship game. Whoever wins this one will win the OAC this year, and it's definitely the stiffest test of this entire season. The Blue Streaks heading to Alliance and taking on the number three team in all of Division Three, 13-time national champions, the University of Mount Union. And Mount Union, I mean, it's it's going to be Mount Union. You know, they, they do not rebuild. They reload every year. Now back for his third year starting, Braxton Plunk at quarterback from Florida. He is an absolute gem as a quarterback. Uh, for the Purple Raiders, he's a guy that the Blue Streaks will definitely have to get pressure on if they want to win this game. And also, 
A couple of other star receivers, Jaden Manley and Wayne Ruby. Wayne Ruby did not play in Mount Union's last game, so it'll be interesting to see if he sees any time against John Carroll. Um, but you know, and DeAndre Parker taking over for Josh Petroselli, who graduated last year at, at running back. And um, you know, they also have a lot of a lot of great defensive players. And and Mount Union, just the one thing that they that they have every year is speed, speed on the outsides, um, great offensive linemen. Uh, who are who are quick as well, and then defensively they they play with a lot of speed and aggression. So and that's what I think makes Mount Union so good in in, in perennial national champions in in football as well. But like I said, John Carroll will definitely have have a stiff test, and uh, I know emotions will be will probably be high in this game just because it's it's such a big game. So um, let's hope both both sides can can keep the the emotions in check as well. And um, it, it should be a really, really exciting game at 1.30 on Saturday, November 5th in Alliance. Uh, be sure to check it out on uh, WJCU. Logan Petoskey will have the call, and uh, it will be a really, really fun and, and exciting game, I think. And, and I think the Blue Streaks, um, you know, I think they have a real... They have a really, really good chance this year, I think. Um, you know, at least, to make it, at least to make it a really good game. Like, it, it, it is every year. And um, I think um, I'm really hoping that the Blue Streaks uh, come up with a really good game plan this week and uh, are able to, um, you know, party like it's 2016, I guess. <laughs> just like just like when they won against Mount Union uh, to, cl- to close out the 2020, uh, 2016 season. Anthony Meglin's touchdown pass. Anthony Meglin, uh, by the way, former host of the Streak Center podcast here, he... Uh, he threw that touchdown pass to Willie Woods with 28 seconds left. There's always shades of those uh, of, of those games or that game anytime the Blue Streaks play the University of Mount Union. And then of course their final ma- their final game will be Saturday, November 12th at noon. That will be against Otterbein. So they did push the game. It was going to be at 1:30, but they pushed it up to noon because of the basketball games and, and all of that as well going on next week. Just before we get to our interview with Dan Ladenovic, head soccer coach here at John Carroll, swimming was uh, the first winter sport to be in action this year as uh, the men's team beat Ohio Northern 181-103 to and the women's team beat the Polar Bears 229-65. to A big shout out on the men's side to Joe Nadur, who got OAC Swimmer of the Week. He was a part of the second place 200 medley relay team. As a fret, and this is remember, he folks, he's a freshman as well. This was his first collegiate race. He won the 200 free in 144.99. He won the 100 backstroke in 59.93, and he won the 200 medley with a time of 155.37. Also on the women's side, Olivia Goodman winning OAC Swimmer of the Week. She got first in the 200 medley relay. Also first in the 200 fly with a time of 217.04. First place in the 100 Butterfly with 102.19. She actually won that race by less than seven-tenths of a second as well. And she also got the gold in the 200 medley with a time of 219.13. So Coach Tanner Barton and company definitely have a a really, really hot start. And uh, it'll be another big meet against Mount Union, uh, which will be on... November 5th, so this Saturday, in Alliance, that's a 1 p.m. start. So if there's any football fans um, that are looking to do something before the mat or before the game, check out the swim meet uh, over, over at Mount Union. Like I said, a, a 1 p.m. start. Football's at 1.30, so they have a little bit of time to check out check it out a little bit. Swimming is a very fun sport, a lot of energy in the pool. It gets hot in there, but uh, <laughs> but there's a lot. There's always a lot of energy, and uh, and the teams are always cheering for each other, and it's, it's really, really good to see. But really good start for Tanner Barton and company, especially with the youth of Joe Nadur and Olivia Goodman, and, and it combined with a lot of the experience as well, like on the women's side with Maddie Panis and Rachel Holubchuk, uh, among like Anna Glass and others, and also on the men's side with Jonah Venos and Liam McDonald, both seniors uh, for competing for the Blue Streaks. Coming up next, we have an awesome interview with Dan Ladenovic, the head men's soccer coach here at John Carroll. You don't want to miss this one, folks, only on the Streak Center Podcast. You're listening to Streak Center on jcusports.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at StreakCenterJCU to stay up to date on guests, episodes, and more. Now, let's get back to the show. Hey, 
And joining us now here on the Streak Center podcast is a very special guest, a huge supporter and friend of the program here on Streak Center. It is head men's soccer coach Dan Bladenovic. Dan, it's great to have you on. I know you've been on a couple times before, but it's it's been a while, and uh, really, really happy you're able to join us here. Thanks for having me, Noah. Uh, like I say, every time I come on, I am the Alec Baldwin of Streak Center <laughs> with the Saturday Night Live uh, analogy. No, uh, um, no secret, we got Marcelo Hernandez over there now, so it's even more fitting. Uh, that I'm the Alec Baldwin role, but happy to be here. Love doing it and looking forward to talking to you. That's, that's actually something I want to ask you about. Is uh, and I, We've talked about it on Streak Center before, but Marcelo Hernandez, as you mentioned, is one of the newest cast members on this season's, uh, uh, for, gosh, it's almost 50 years of Saturday Night Live. And he, in fact, was, is a John Carroll grad, class of 2019, but he also played soccer. What do you remember about Marcelo? And uh, you probably remember the discussion about him, you know, leaving the team to go pursue comedy. Absolutely. First and foremost, Marcelo is a great human being. Great kid. Really happy for him and all his his success. Um, Was a very good player. You know, came in as a freshman, highly recruited, had Division One opportunities, chose John Carroll because of our great education, much more than the soccer program. And, you know, his first year, he was probably one of the first subs off the bench, played a lot of minutes, not really a starter at that time, but still a very significant part of the program. Came back sophomore year, did earn a starting position. Um, And then I remember, like it was yesterday, it was probably three or four weeks into the season, he came into the office very emotional, letting us know that he had to quit. Uh, And if I'm being honest, the... I thought something bad happened, if I'm being honest. I was I was nervous, and once he kind of explained that comedy was his passion and uh, he had been going to open mic nights after training sessions every night, which for those who don't know, at that time, we were training from 8.30 to 10.30 p.m. Uh, he would go shower, get in an Uber, and get down to Lakewood, which is probably you know a good 35, 40 minutes, and do these open mic nights night after night. Uh, and then Mike Polk had seen him, who's a local celebrity uh, comedian who has a, a big platform and wanted to sign him to a professional contract. And... Uh, Marcelo took that opportunity because he knew he could not juggle uh, academics first and foremost, uh, then with soccer and, and comedy. But uh, it was a really cool moment. Uh, not, not looking back on it, because you know once we figured out that it was a it was a good thing, not a bad thing, that he had to leave the soccer program. Um, but ever since, you know, we we supported him going to his comedy shows. I remember going down to the Improv downtown Cleveland in the flats uh, to watch him perform. He had a Tonight Show here at JCU. Uh, the kids put the work in, and and really happy to see it pay off for him. And uh, I want to know as well, uh, did he ever crack any jokes at practice or, it, or any of those? That? It's, it's funny you ask. Uh, he was always a, a very bubbly and energetic personality. So he, he was very witty, you know, uh, quick one-liners and things like that. But I, I knew he was kind of into comedy, but not to that level. And I remember coming back from Canada in our preseason trip uh, back in 2019. Or, uh, excuse me, it was it 2016? Yeah, 2016. And a bunch of the guys were egging him on to do like kind of a routine on the on the bus microphone in front of everybody on the way back to kill some time. And he made a joke like, "Well, if Decky does it, I'll do it." So I was like, "Why not?" And I, I went up there, grabbed the microphone. Mine was probably a little more of a roast of, of the players than an actual routine. <laughs> but uh, I went up there, did my did my act, and then Marcelo followed. Uh, but he, I I never knew it was at the level that he had been at in terms of the open mic nights and the commitment to it. I thought it was kind of more of a side gig than anything else, but uh, I was definitely wrong because he's killing it, and, and like I said, just couldn't be more happy for him. And uh, how about this year's team as well? You know, you're you uh, in your third season as head coach, leading the Blue Streaks with 13-4-1 and record just before the OAC tournament, 8-1 and overall in conference play as well. How about this? You've only allowed two goals in OAC play, and both of those were, uh, unfortunately, against the uh, against Ohio Northern, the only OAC blemish uh, on the record. But overall, you know, how do you think that this uh, this season's been going so far? It, very interesting. And if I'm being honest, I truly think we're ahead of schedule. And what I mean by that is, when you graduate so many guys like we did last year, mainly due to the COVID eligibility rules, uh, we had eight regular. Uh, real seniors and then seven fifth-year seniors. So you kind of combine those classes, you get to the number 15. That's a pretty significant number. That's not normal in our program. Um, Having that many guys leave and having to bring so many guys in on top of it, it's pretty much a brand-new team. So we kind of had to start from scratch in terms of teaching uh, the system and concepts and stuff like that. And we did actually implement a a new 
uh, system that we haven't played before at any point here in John Carroll soccer history, at least during my time of the 21 years. So we really wanted to build this thing from the ground up. We knew that we had the talent taken care of. It's a very talented team, very deep team, very uh, versatile roster. So we knew we had the personnel to pull it off. But um, I keep telling the guys, like, we have a long way to go, but we've covered a lot of ground uh, between now and then. And, and truthfully, the sky's the limit for these guys. It, it, the more they uh, stay focused and are switched on in terms of what we're doing in training sessions and film and, and just continuing to push to be the best version of themselves, it's, uh, it's a very good situation for them. You know, and as you know, for a team that's had much, much success in Ohio Athletic Conference play and, and hadn't lost at home against an OAC opponent since 2015, unfortunately, you guys lost, as I mentioned before, 2-1 to one, uh, to the Polar Bears. And I feel like for a lot of teams, that could just be it. You know, they could they could kind of fold and, and just it could get into their heads, but it doesn't seem like that's gotten in with, with you guys. And so... Even with that tough loss to ONU, you know, how, how do you think the team has, has rebounded from that? Yeah, I think it was definitely a fork in the road for the program uh, in terms of this team specifically. I think they obviously chose the right direction because I truly think they've been a different team since that night. I'm going to be completely transparent. That record, again, I, I knew it was long. I didn't know it was 2015 or what have you. I told our guys we were playing with house money for a long time. Soccer is a very funky sport. It's very, very difficult to continue to get results on a consistent basis because of the way the game's constructed. Um, Teams pack it in. Teams don't try to play uh, or or just are playing for a result. So (laughs) truthfully, for for it to go on that long is pretty amazing. It's probably a little more of a a luck than anything else just because, like I said, the way the the sport is, is played. But um, I think the guys had an excellent response, especially having to go straight to Otterbein that Wednesday after losing on a Saturday night. Otterbein is a fantastic uh, program and team, one of the best teams not only in the conference but in the region and the country. Uh, and to go down there after that and get a result was a, a very good sign, and I think they've kept that momentum going since then and, and haven't looked back. And I know other, you know, obviously a very tough uh, OAC schedule, but you guys are notorious for uh, scheduling those non-conference battles, those ones against the Calvins, like a top 10 team in the country, uh, Ohio Wesleyan, Denison, Kenyon. I mean, they're on and on about the, the top teams that you guys play. W- what is your thinking uh, behind those, uh, behind scheduling those really, really tough uh, non-conference opponents, not only just this year, but in, in years past as well? Sure. And that goes back to uh, a collaboration with Hector Marinero, our former head coach, a good, I would say, eight to 10 years ago. We had the mindset, you know, if we want to be the best, we have to beat the best. And the only way to do that is to challenge ourselves in the non-conference and schedule these types of opponents because a four or five nothing victory in September does nothing for you. Uh, you don't learn anything about yourself. If anything, it, maybe you even uh, start implementing some bad habits because you're doing things that you probably can't do in tougher games. So for us, we wanted to make sure we were challenging ourselves. So we went through the growing pains every non-conference. So when we get to the OAC, we're battle-tested. We understand our strengths and weaknesses. We know what to work on. We know what to look for. Uh, so when the, the bright lights shine uh, in, in the OAC uh, regular season schedule and the, the postseason tournament, we know what to expect. I know you guys have gotten a couple of transfers uh, on this team as well uh, this year, like Nick Felician from Notre Dame College, a Steve Samuelson defender from Medina, but he was at Co- Coastal Carolina, I believe, and, and there's a couple Correct. others as well. I don't know if, um, you know, especially now with the, the new rules with the transfer portal and guys can kind of go wherever they want and not lose a year of eligibility, is this something that you guys look at a lot, the, the portal, to, to get some guys now, or was it just they reached out and, and they wanted to play? A little bit of both. You know, yeah. our, our mentality is we're really never happy. We're, we're proud of, of, of accomplishments, but I don't know if we'll, I'll ever sit here and tell you I'm happy with where we're at. We're always trying to find ways to get better. We're always trying to find good players, and we really don't care how or where we get them from. If it's in the transfer portal, great. If it's uh, you know recruiting an incoming freshman, great. If it's a kid who's been on campus for two years that I didn't know about, I'll take him too. You know, We're going to do whatever it takes to keep improving the roster. doesn't matter if we have established uh, starters in position. doesn't matter if it's a returning all American all-conference player, we know that we have to keep pushing forward if we want to get to where we want to go, and ultimately that's winning the whole thing. How do you guys? Uh, how do you think that this team's developed this season? I know you mentioned about losing a lot of those key plays, key pieces like uh, Connor Robinson and Net, uh, Will Turton, uh, you know, All-American, um, Michael Adelman, heart and soul of that team, you know, uh, emotionally and all that. Jared Iannero, among other guys. 
Um, you know, so what was it like, you know, this year? Um, I know starting out, it was, you know, uh, maybe to see how much these guys would gel. But how do you, how is how have they developed uh, over time this year? Yeah, yeah, when when you're a program of our caliber, at least I like to think so. Uh, good players walk out the door all the time. You know, Milko Chechez, Alex mm-hmm. Bernat, uh, Brian Potoknik, Jake Lombardo, Dalton Browski, Jesse Marinero. It's part of the the cycle and timeline of collegiate athletics. So for us, our mentality is we never want to rebuild. We want to reload. Uh, so we are, like I said, we're trying to add talent all the time. I think for us in this particular group, our biggest challenge was learning how to win. Uh, we have the talent, like I said, we have the versatility within the formations and the roster, but the experience part is something that you can't replace until you go through it yourself and you go through those you know, so-called growing pains to figure out what it takes to go win a game uh, in, in college soccer. So, um, like I said, I truly think our guys are ahead of schedule. Uh, I think there is still a long way to go, but I think the reason why there's a long way to go is because they have so much potential. And like I mentioned before, the sky's the limit, and when you have this kind of group and, and this kind of roster, uh, I don't know if it's ever a finished product because there's just so much um, room for growth because they're such talented kids and players, and uh, I couldn't be more proud of their commitment to the process. Every day they come in with an attitude that they want to get better, they want to learn, they're focused on the game plan, they're focused on film, they're always trying to find ways to get better every time they step on the field. I want to ask you about um, Jake Vogren as well in net. Uh, you know, He did not see any time in his first two seasons. Now he's a junior and took over uh, for Connor Robinson, who who obviously is was a very, very excellent goalie for, for John Carroll. Even beat out Connor Ginn, who had a lot of experience before. And uh, just seeing him develop this year, and he even had the—I uh, think he has got the record for the most shutouts in a, in a single season now, uh, and before even postseason play has happened. Um, you know what has led to his development in net, and I think he's been a, a really major part of this program this year. One key word: work. Yeah. He has put the work in. Uh, since the season ended last year, he goes to a personal trainer on his own. He's always—he's uh, getting workouts in wherever he can, whether it's goalkeeper-specific training or you know in Corbo and things like that. The kid has a lot of talent. He knows that, but he had to, he had to back it up with the work rate and what he's done and the amount of ground he's covered since you know I'll say mid-November of 2021 till now is is totally a credit to him. He completely dedicated himself to his craft. Um, he, he pushes himself every day, and I think it's also a testament to the actual goalkeeper room. It's a very talented group. These guys all push each other, but they also support one another, and I think these guys know that um, although only one guy plays, it's pivotal that they're all doing their job to not only push themselves to be the best version of themselves individually, but making sure whoever that starter is is prepared to play in the game and uh, give us the best chance in, in goal. The thing I know Jake will tell you as well is you know he he gives a lot of credit to our back line. Those guys do a lot of work uh, up in front of him to make sure uh, Jake doesn't have to do too much work and, and make too many saves. Uh, but when when Jake's number is called, he he, he answers it. He he's made some fantastic saves. I think he's been great in the air this year, uh, traffic in the box and dealing with set pieces and and things like that that teams throw at us. But I couldn't be more compliment, complimentary of Jake. Uh, and, and I'm really proud of all the effort that he put in, like I said, especially here in the last 11, 12 months. We're talking with Dan Mladenovic, the head men's soccer coach here at John Carroll on Streak Center. And Dan, I want to ask a little bit about you. As I mentioned before, this is your third season now, or uh, sec- second season, I, I apologize, as, as head coach here. I uh, forgot about that spring of 21. But um, why originally... Uh, you know, you know, you'd been an assistant for Hector Marinero ever since you were done retired, or you retired from playing after your your career was over. So, why exactly um, did you want this job? And you know, did you have other opportunities to go other places? And, and why, you know, why stay here at, at JCU? Yeah, JCU is just a really special place to me. I'm a, I'm a very loyal person. Anyone who knows me or is part of my friend circle knows that. And when Hector brought me in as an assistant back in uh, the spring semester of my senior year, which was you know February of 2006, it didn't take long for me to really fall in love with the coaching side of this thing. And um, I always think I was a better coach than I was a player. I think I was able to explain things better than I was able to do them and just see the game a little bit differently than than probably you know playing it. And like I said, the the John Carroll community, the athletic department. 
uh, people like Chris Wensler and, and Dr. Welke and um, so many special people that have such an, uh, had such an impact on me as a human being uh, to kind of give back you know, to you know all the the fun times I had on the field and, and part of the program and um, yeah I mean there's been opportunities uh, uh, division one level professional level and things like that to be an assistant or, or support staff or what have you but I really haven't flinched I, I maybe through a couple resumes here and there but very yeah uh, Uncommittedly, I'll, I'll say, like yeah, yeah. I, if it happened, I would maybe take an interview or whatever. And I did have some conversations, but my, my heart's been here from day one when I got here when I was 17. And like I said, once I started coaching when I was 21, that really solidified it for me, for my love for this university, the athletic de- the department, and especially the John Carroll community. Well, what exactly did uh, attracted you to John Carroll when you were looking at places to play out of high school? <laughs> it's really funny. I, I tell this story a lot because it's, uh, it's a little bit embarrassing, but I chose John Carroll for all the wrong reasons and, and basically the polar opposite of when I talk to recruits and telling them what to do. Uh, I came here because there was a really good soccer team and my, a bunch of my buddies played here and I was not focused on academics. I was not focused on my, my life after school. And I was just very fortunate that God blessed me and put me in the right place and everything worked out in my favor. No exaggeration. When I talk to recruits now, it doesn't matter how, how badly we want them or if it's someone who just wants to come try out, I tell them, take soccer out of the equation. You know, soccer is just the extracurricular. The academics, the, the preparation, and, and the degree that you get from John Carroll is light years more important than, than what we do in the men's soccer program. And don't get me wrong, we take it seriously. We like to win. We want to win more. Um, and we're as competitive uh, type of people that you're ever going to be around. But I will never compromise that for a kid's education and, and what's the real reason why you go to college. You, you do not make an academic decision based on athletics. That, that's just kind of how I feel. And uh, I was just really fortunate that I ended up at, at the right place at the right time and, and things worked out. But truthfully, I, I had the process very backwards and I'm just very lucky that I ended up in the right spot. I know you talked very highly of Hector Marinero, the uh, former head coach uh, for the Blue Streaks, of course, a longtime assistant uh, with him as well. And, uh, of course, this earlier this year, he was selected to the John Carroll Athletic Hall of Fame. It, 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 sometimes it takes a while to, for guys to get in, but he was able to get in pretty much in his first year eligible. Uh, so what, what were your thoughts on, on Hector getting in and, and seeing him in that wonderful speech that he gave uh, as well? It was fantastic. I, again, I always tell people Hector is literally my best friend in the world. It's someone I, I trust wholeheartedly, a mentor, a guy, a guy I still go to daily for advice and, and help. I mean, we just had a conversation on the way up here today, you know, talking about the game tomorrow. I still bounce things off of him and, and rely on him for his expertise. But the the Hall of Fame ceremony in itself was very special to see him up there and, and get the recognition he deserved. But I really felt like the opportunity to be the one to tell him he was in the Hall of Fame was one of the coolest moments yeah. of my entire career at JCU. And we kind of played a little prank on him and tricked yeah, him into thinking yeah. he was given a, a speech at film with the boys. And uh, <laughs> instead, it was uh, the opportunity to let him know that he had been selected as a first ballot, no-brainer Hall of Famer. And I, uh, I, I still probably watch that video once or twice a week just because uh, watching how emotional he was and how much this place means to him is just kind of solidifies you know how important he he was to me um but not only me but the program and, and the university so yeah, it was really cool it was it was great to see his his family in town they all live in florida now uh jesse janice his, his daughter and son um his wife jody his brother rob who's a, a head coach at uh, kent state really special night really good speech and um i couldn't be happier for him and, and his career yeah, and if anyone has not seen that video, uh, just look up Hector Marinero, John Carroll Athletic Hall of Fame on YouTube, and and you'll find that it, it was it was really special to, to see Hector and, and and how emotional he got, and and the the thank you video that that you put together, Dayon, as well with his parents talking, and as well it was real special for sure. Now, actually, speaking of Hector, so. I remember you telling me once that um, you used to be a big fan of his when you were growing up. He oh, was, yeah. uh, he, you know, of course, the all-time leading scorer in indoor soccer history, played uh, for the Cleveland Crunch here. You know, what do you remember about going to his games? And, you know, when, the first time you ever met Hector, did you tell him about all that? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, he, he was electric. He was a goal scorer. He was exciting. Um, indoor soccer in the, in the 90s, especially the, the mid-90s. It was it was the place to be. So we would be downtown every Friday and Saturday night at the Convocation Center at CSU, which is now called the Wolstein Center, 
And when I tell you this man scored goals, I'm talking five, six, seven goals a night. And they weren't uh, tap-ins. You know, he was he was a phenomenal player. He knew how to get the crowd going. Uh, he was a showman. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I had his jersey. I would wear it in the crowd. I was there in 94 when he scored the game-winning goal in the championship and was running around the field. Um, and actually, even when I was here, my freshman and sophomore year, we used to, this is way before Uber, now I'm really showing my age, but we used to get taxis or drive down uh, from uh, Hamlin and Pacelli and go watch him play on, on Friday, Saturday nights as well. So I was watching him play, you know, even when I was here at Carroll, and then to be on the same sideline with him two years later was kind of a dream come true. But the main thing I want people to know about Hector is that as big of a celebrity as he is and as famous as he is, and keep in mind, I mean, he can't walk down the street without people recognizing him, him here in Cleveland. He is the most down-to-earth, nice, normal human being you're ever going to meet. You'd never know the man has an MVP trophy named after him at the professional level. You'd never know he played for the Canadian national team. He's just a very good person, very family-oriented, um, you know, loves everybody. You know, he's just a very good guy. And uh, it's, uh, again, another blessing that I ended up here uh, not only as a, a student and a student athlete, but being able to work with him for 15 years after that, you know, you really can't ask for, for much more than that. Yeah, and you you mentioned being a you know student athlete here, and I know I, I've talked about your career a lot as well, but um, you know, being a former student athlete, particularly here at John Carroll, being a, a member of the soccer team and, and all that, what are some of the ways that you can relate to today's student athletes? Because you you were once one yourself. Sure, no, that's 100. percent I I'm a firm believer that. Failure is the biggest teacher, and I think that through failure and those experiences, you're able to learn a lot, uh, especially in that th- those uh, formational years, 18 to 22 year- years old in college. What I try to do is really try to help guys learn from my mistakes that I made while, while I was here to make sure they don't make the big mistakes. So, yes, sometimes you have to fall on your face a little bit and, and, and then we'll help you pick yourself back up. But I'm really there to make sure that the big the big stuff doesn't happen. And whether it's, again, first and foremost, academics, you know, I share my story from my, my first, first semester of freshman year of, you know, I really struggled academically and I really had to put the work in in the library in Griselli to get my grades back up. Um, so I'm, you know, in the preseason talking to freshmen, giving them, you know, pointers and tips of time management and study t- uh, habits, the writing center, tutoring, et cetera, uh, so they don't make the same mistake I did. So for me, it's it's kind of sharing my story with these guys of, hey, man, this worked, this worked and this didn't, and here's some advice of how to avoid certain situations or to, to capitalize or take advantage of another to make sure that they're better than I was. You know, my goal always is for these guys to do much better than I ever did and try to push them to, to be the best versions of uh, best versions of themselves, excuse me. Um, and sometimes, like I said, it, it happens through my experience and sometimes uh, it doesn't, but I'm willing to share those stories and I'm always happy to help in any way. You know, you talk about sharing your story as well. And, and one story that I think many people that know you know about you is uh, is your Serbian roots. And you're very proud of, of Serbia and, and the country that your, your parents came from as well. And, and you still celebrate Serbian holidays and uh, Orthodox Church and all that as well. So uh, what does being um, what does being Serbian and have those roots mean to you as well? As well? It, it means a lot. You know, people kind of tease me like, oh, you know, you're crazy how much you work or how much film you watch or whatever. And it's probably true. The thing I always go back to is I'm kind of mim- mimicking my grandparents. You know, they came here, no education, no opportunity um, in terms of getting a, a degree and stuff like that. And watching them work in factories and 365 days a year, double shifts over time uh, just to make ends meet and provide for the family. Uh I don't know how I could look in the mirror and not kind of give that same kind of effort with all the opportunities they've, they've given to me. And it's kind of like what I just said a little bit ago about wanting my guys to be better than me. You know, my grandparents were very clear. They wanted my mom and dad to be better than they were. And my parents have told me the same thing about them. You know, they expect me to take what I've been given and build on that and, and be better. And I, I always trace it back to, again, and don't get me wrong, my parents work very hard too, but especially my grandparents. Uh, Looking in the looking in the mirror and not knowing I give 100 percent, not have not given 100 percent is not an option. Um, to this day, my grandma calls me, and she'll be like, "Hey, what was the score of the game?" And I'll, if I say we we lost or tied, she goes, "Why?" So just yeah. that, you know, it, I mean, she and I try to give her an explanation, and 
she really holds me to a high standard, and I appreciate that. I, I don't take that as pressure. I, I take that as motivation. Uh, even to this day, and, you know, she's almost, you know, in her mid-80s, almost 90 years old, she's still pushing, you know, for me to be the best I can be, and I can't thank uh, all my grandparents enough for that. Now, another thing about you, Dan, that I feel like a lot of people know is your love and enthusiasm for Disney. Oh, yeah. And you guys go down to, you and Kid and Luca, baby Luca, go down to um, Disney World a lot and, and, and all that. W- what started your love of Disney? And, and is the rest of your family, your grandparents and all, or parents as well, are, are they all into it like you are too? It, to be honest, not really. So I was always a Disney guy, you know, to a certain level. And so was Kit, you know, prior to us dating and obviously getting engaged and married. But I think once her and I started um, dating and seeing each other, it kind of morphed into something different. You know, we have a lot of very common interests, obviously, JCU Athletics and and John Carroll as a whole, uh, the Cleveland sports, you know, big Browns, Indians and Cavs fans. And then this Disney thing, uh, I I don't know, like you, I always say, you know, it's not... When you marry someone, you have to find the right fit, someone who's going to be your best friend. And I think a big part of that is having those common interests. And those three, three things I just listed are, are kind of a kit in my uh, foundation of our relationship as friends, you know, as, as best friends outside of being a uh, husband and wife. And uh, being able to share that with someone and the, the trips and whatever and something to look forward to is really cool. Really looking forward to going back down actually for Christmas this year. Uh, we'll be going with kids' side of the family uh, for Christmas Day and, and that whole week between Christmas and New Year's. And then we actually just plan another trip. We'll be going back in June with my side of the family. So I think, like, yes, Kit and I are, are big Disney fans, but I think our family kind of has jumped on the bag- bandwagon with us now. And we have two family trips with the respective side of the families coming up here in the next uh, seven, eight months that we're really looking forward to. And just so people are aware, Kit uh, Mladenovic is the wife of Dayon here. And uh, Kit, her former last name was O'Shaughnessy. She was a four-year player, four, four-time first-team All-OAC player uh, on vol- at volleyball here at JCU and uh, is now currently the assistant coach to Michelle Benoit and, and the volleyball staff as well. And actually, speaking of that, is there... Uh, you know, do you guys ever debate about who was the better John Carroll athlete here? Every day. <laughs> and she she certainly has the stats to back it up. I try to flash the rings a little more than I should. You know, I don't want to start any fights at home. But, uh, no, she was fantastic. She was a really good player and, and did really well here at JCU. I'm really, really proud of her, uh, Michelle, and the entire volleyball team for the year they're having this year. It's been great to watch them grow. Um, you know, they really challenged themselves out in Colorado and, you know, Although the results didn't go their way, you could see it kind of set the foundation and the tone for the rest of the season that they saw, they they got to learn what it looks like to be a team like that. And I think ever since, you know, they've been ascending and and reaching new levels for the program, you know, for them to be predicted to finish eighth in the conference by the coaches poll and then to come in here and and earn the number two seed and a buy into the uh, the, the OAC semifinal on the volleyball side of things is tremendous, and we're rooting for them. We're really uh, excited for them and, and the women's soccer team who just won last night, and we'll be playing in the OAC semifinal. Then, obviously, the football team with the big one on, on Saturday, too, against Mount, which is a, essentially an OAC final in itself. So uh, really happy and proud of all the sports teams. Kyle keeps rocking with the, with the cross team, oh, yeah. another couple championships for the men and women's programs over there. So it's been a great fall here at JCU. Oh, it's been one of the best, uh, for sure, at least in my time here. I'm sure for the same for you, Dayan, as well. Every everyone everyone just keeps winning. It seems like, and, and everyone's uh, had a pretty successful year. That is for sure. All right, Dayan. Final question for you. Ahead of OACs, your 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 matchup, uh, semifinal matchup against Otterbein on Thursday, November third. What's that mindset going going into OACs this year, and, and hopefully beyond that as well? Sure. Anyone who's in the tournament uh, is worthy of being here, and. We respect our opponents tremendously. Uh, right now, you have Otterbein, Wilmington, and Ohio Northern, who were the OAC regular season champs left. All three are very good teams. Like I mentioned before, I think Otterbein is not only a, a good team in the conference, but one of the best in the country. You know, We're focused on ourselves, though. We have to go make sure that we're putting in the work in our preparation, that we're having good training sessions, that we're focused on film and our game plan. Uh, but it's no secret. Otterbein uh, plays a, a, a very difficult way to defend. You know, they're, they're a little more direct than, than, than most teams that we play against, and they're very good at it. You know, Guys like Gabe Chirac and Will Isaac, who was an All-American, we know we got our hands full tomorrow night, and uh, we're going to do our best to prepare as best as we can so we can put the best performance on the field. 
can't mention uh, 2005 OAC Championship, your game-winning goal in overtime. <laughs> you say it was a bicycle kick. I know Kit debates it, but uh, but you know maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll see one of those uh, in this tournament. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this year as well. But Dan Wadenovic, head men's soccer coach here at John Carroll. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. A uh, a very good friend of the program, and best of luck uh, this weekend and beyond uh, in postseason play. Thank you, no, I appreciate it. You're listening to Streak Center on jcusports.com. For the latest news on all things JCU Sports, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at JCU Sports or visit jcusports.com. Now, let's get back to the show. And a big thank you again to Dayan Ladenovic, the head soccer coach here at John Carroll. Great interview as always, and he's a big friend and a big supporter of the Streak Center podcast and uh, an excellent, excellent coach as well. He's a, he's a guy that really cares a lot about not only just the student-athletes, but really about the university. And, and I know you know, he, uh, he, was, uh, he was the interim sports information director in between uh, when Chris Wenzler passed away and when Joe Ginley was hired. So, uh, and, and he used to be a part-time assistant in the sports information office as well. So he really understands um, you know, what Chris's message was all about and, and, and really caring about the university. And I really liked his story about, about his growth as well. And, uh, and, and, and really how he, he said he came to John Carroll, uh, for quote unquote, the wrong reasons. Um, but you know, he was, uh, he, he was able to grow and, and develop and, and really learn about what a special place this is. Uh, and you know, I, I really like, this is why I like streak center a lot. It's because we get these interviews with the student athletes, with coaches, with, with other administrators as well. And we really get to hear their stories beyond just their sport. Now, we're definitely going to talk about their sport and their season like, like we did in the interview. But at the same time, we get to learn about them personally as well and, and their growth here at, at John Carroll. And I, I think that's really, really good and really important uh, to talk about as well to, to show the growth and, and about the, the Jesuit mission of the university and, 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 and spiritual growth and all that as well. Before we close out, uh, I do want to give wrestling a shout out because wrestling will be in action for the first time this weekend as they travel to Lake Erie College Division II school up in Painesville, which is about 45 minutes from John Carroll, just up Highway 90. Uh, and this is just kind of like an open race or an open meet, I should say. It doesn't really count in the standings. Uh, this is just a good opportunity to get a lot of guys, especially the un- the inexperienced guys, um, so, uh, some chances at collegiate meets uh, and collegiate matches as well. So, uh, so I'm, I'm sure almost the whole team will wrestle, and uh, it'll be good to see some old veterans like Andrew Perelka and Luke Rakoski, who returned for a fifth year of wrestling as well. Uh, you know, coupled with Kyle Murray and a couple of the other um, the other guys who who are back for for the Blue Streaks as well. So it'll be uh, it'll be really good. 6 p.m. at uh, at Lake Erie College, uh, which is about 45 minutes from John Carroll as well. And also, just a, a quick shout out about the uh, the John Carroll football, uh, the John Carroll football and record book that that I wrote actually, um, and it's about the uh, it's a, it's really in memory or it's in uh, celebrating the 100 years and 100 seasons I should say of John Carroll football, and it's a it's a record in fact book, so it's not really nece- it's not really a chapter book, but it it has a lot of statistics. And um, and little write ups of uh, the Hall of Famers that are that are in the uh, John Carroll Athletic Hall of Fame that played football as well, uh, among uh, a big section of uh, John Carroll's presence in the National Football League, and uh, and much much more. It's two hundred full color pages. Um, you can order the book for fifty dollars on uh, jcusports.com. There's a link uh, to that, and um, it includes a ten dollar tax deductible donation to the Blue Gold Club plus shipping as well. And this Monday, November 7th at 8 p.m., we are having a Zoom presentation uh, that I will pr- I will present on the book, and it'll be hosted by Brian Filikowski, who is the president of the Blue Gold Club, and he was a, a John Carroll Athletic Hall of Fame offensive lineman uh, during his time here, class of 2001. Uh, at, here at John Carroll. So he will host it and then he'll have a couple of questions for me and then we'll open it up to the viewing audience uh, for, for those who, who would like to ask me a question about the book uh, as well. So remember, it's Monday, November 7th at 8 p.m. It'll be via Zoom call, but you have to register. It is a it is free to register. Uh, you can go to jcusports.com. There was a story that was posted uh, about it uh, earlier earlier today. 
And uh, it'd be it'd be really good to to get as many people as we can for this uh, to to celebrate not only talk not only for me to talk about the book, um, but uh, really celebrate the hundred the hundred seasons of John Carroll football and and really what John Carroll uh, you know what football has meant to this university and 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 really for the athletes beyond just their playing experience how they've used their experiences uh, in their lives beyond football. So uh, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, and really hope that anyone listening out there can register for it Monday, November seventh at eight p.m. via Zoom. And regist- you can register for free at jcusports.com to get all the login details as well. You can follow us on Twitter at Streak Center JCU. Also follow JCU Sports at JCU Sports on Twitter, and also go to jcusports.com for all the latest athletic updates uh, as well, and all the live stream links and live stat links to all of our games this weekend in a big, big weekend for OAC tournament play. And we wish all of our Blue Streak teams the best of luck this weekend. And as always, folks, thank you for listening to the Streak Center Podcast.